Well, it's good to see you today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. Hope you just feel free to come. Anything's we've got going on. I'm going to shoot straight with you today what we're going to talk about. I'm preaching on money today. I'm just preaching about money. And if you're a guest, you're probably thinking, oh, great, the one time I come, he's preaching on money. Some of you hardly ever come to church, maybe, just getting back and thinking, oh, great, I, my worst fear is realized. Listen, I only preach on money one time a year. The first Sunday in November, today just happens to be. The first Sunday of November. So it, 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 I don't apologize for it. I'm not putting a squeeze on you. I'm not going to hit you up if you're a guest. You know, I may talk about giving a little bit, but don't worry about it. We don't expect you to give. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and they give you a shot and say, this is just going to pinch just a little bit. That's all it's going to happen. It's no big deal. But listen, Jesus talked more about money than he ever did about heaven or hell. You know that? Because Jesus and the writers of the New Testament were concerned because people had issues with money. It's no different than today. They had money problems and money concerns, and they loved money just as much back then as we do today. And in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus, that's the basic message of what it means to be a follower of Christ, he reminded them, he said, listen, where your treasure is, there's your heart. There's the things you're committed to. And he says, you can't serve God and money at the same time. You just can't. So it's important that we understand that. We're going to come to a passage that we've heard of. It's called the Widow's Mite. Uh, It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. If you ever heard the saying, somebody put their two cents worth in, this is where it comes from. So here's what it says. And he, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people we're putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, their abundance. But she, out of the poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today, and it's simply this. Our attitude towards money and possessions reveals something about our attitude towards God. You can't love God and love money. You can't both love God and money. And our attitude towards what we have reveals something about that. So we come today to the story. It's not, it's not a parable. It's not an illustration. It's an actual event. It's a narrative. And it's a story about a woman's love for God. It's not a story about a woman's giving money. It's really a story about a woman's love for God. So to kind of understand it and put it in, in, into perspective, this event occurs on Tuesday of the week of the Passion of Christ. In other words, the Passion Week, when, when, when Jesus died, it starts with the triumphal entry, the first Sunday, and the next Sunday, it's the resurrection of Jesus. This is on the Tuesday. Uh, on Monday of that week, Jesus comes into the temple And it's then that he runs the money changers out of the court of the Gentiles, the money changers being corrupt and all that. And I actually talked about this last Wednesday night at Gross. So if you want to know more information about it, go to the archives on our website. You can find all that there. And uh, in the temple, and and, and Passover is a huge thing. Passover to them is like Christmas is to us, man. You know, Christmas is here. I don't know whether you know it or not. It's November. Christmas is starting. I mean, it's Christmas. With Debbie and I around shopping, there's Christmas stuff everywhere you go. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, man. It really is. And, and in our house, we're already plotting and planning all the stuff that's got to be done and all the things that's got to happen. It's a big deal. Passover was a big deal. People came from all over the place to Passover. 
And they had the, in the temple area these several courts. They had the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could go. Then they had the court of the women, where everybody, you know, women could go. And then they had the court of, of Israel and, and, and the court of priests and so on. Well, in the court of the Gentiles, the Gentiles would go there to, if they wanted to worship God. That's all they could go. The only place they could go to. Well, they had corrupted that. So Jesus drove them all out. He did that twice, actually. He did it in John chapter 2 at the very beginning of his ministry. Then Matthew, Mark, and Luke record him doing it on the week of the Passion. So he did that on Monday. On Tuesday, he comes back to the temple. And the religious leaders are there waiting for him. And they're waiting for Jesus. And this, this is going to be a day of unbelievable confrontations. I mean, the Jewish leaders are going after Jesus on that Tuesday with everything they have. So he comes, and they ask him, by what authority did you do all that? Who gave you the right to do what you did this thing? So he discusses all that with them. And, and then uh, he tells a, a parable uh, that, about the vineyards, that, that, the vine growers, that really and truly condemns the religious leaders. After that, they begin to try to catch him in some questions. So the Pharisees come and ask him about giving, paying taxes, I should say, to Caesar. And he says, you give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. And then the Sadducees come and ask him about the resurrection, because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And so Jesus just absolutely hammers them and puts them in their place. And then a scribe, seeing that Jesus answered well, came and asked him a critical question in Mark 12, verse 28. He says, what's the great commandment? What's the most important commandment of all? This is something that was discussed quite often among the Jews, the religious leaders. And Jesus said in verse 29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Love God with everything you have. There's a second commandment very similar to it. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. The great commandment of Christ. What we are all to do as his followers, love God, love other people. And the scribe said, well, you're kind of right in answering that. And then Jesus says a few more things to them, including about how the religious leaders love to be seen in public and made a big deal of. At the same time, they crush and devour the homes of the widows. After he says that, we come to the story we have. Now, this story is not a story in which anyone is found at fault. Jesus, with all the confrontation that had gone on this, that, that day, Jesus does not condemn anybody. He does not ridicule anybody. He does not talk about anybody doing something poorly. He has nothing negative or critical to say about anybody, including the religious leaders. This is a story about a woman's love for God. And so he comes in verse 41. It's late in the afternoon. He comes into the treasury, it says. And he sits down opposite the treasury and to watch a lot of rich people give in a lot of money. Now, to understand this, they are in the court of the women. The court of the women was where the women could go. I mean, obviously, the men of Israel could go also, but the women could go there so as far as they could go. It was a huge area. It said it may have held as many as 15,000 people. And in there, there were 13 treasury boxes. Now, a treasury box was a chest they could put money in, and it had like a horn shape to it. And they could put money for different things. There was a box for the offerings. There was a box for sacrifices to take care of the priest. But the 13th box was the most important. It was the box for helping the poor. A hugely important part of the ministry of Israel because they had so much poor. You know, they didn't have the government stuff we had. I mean, that's how poor were taken care of in the life of Israel. And so people would come in and put money. And it says there were a lot of rich people there putting in a lot of money. Notice, by the way, at no point does Jesus condemn the rich for putting in a lot of money. And trust me, I will never condemn wealthy people for giving a lot of money either. Okay? I promise you, I'm going to follow the footsteps of Jesus on that one. I am not getting uptight if you give a lot of money. And so they become, here's what would happen. 
Because there were so many people coming, and everybody would come, and so many people would come. And what they did is when you gave money into the, into the treasury box of the poor, they would actually announce, announce it. It doesn't say that here, but we know that from other sources. So somebody would come in, so, and they would announce. So Simon uh, bar Judah has given 5,000. Everybody said, well, that's, that's nice. And then Levi of Alexandria, the tanner, has given 7,000. That, oh, that's nice. Could you imagine if we did that when y'all gave? <laughs> when we passed the baskets along, hey, Ed, wrote a check for $2,000, yay. Bill slipped in a 20. Way to go, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> now, I promise you, we're not doing that, okay? We're going to start it next year, but we're not doing that right now. <laughs> okay. So they would announce the money. And there's nothing, and listen, and, and, and Jesus isn't critical of anything. Oh, hey, that's good. Giving, a lot of money was given. Listen, the Jews did a lot. They gave a lot of money. They had a lot of money. And so it says there was this poor widow. And the word poor means absolutely destitute. I mean, she was the poorest of the poor. And she was a widow. We don't know anything more about her. We don't, there's a painting of her of being a young woman with a baby. We don't know. And she came, and, and the New American Standard I read for him from said she gave two small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. Now, and actually what she gave in the Greek, and you don't really care about my tell you anyways, uh, she gave two lepta which amount to a quadrant. <laughs> what's a lepta and what's a quadrant? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you anyways. But the lepta was the smallest possible coin they had as a Jew that they could give. And you couldn't give one lepta because it was just too small to, to, to count. Okay, so the minimum you could give was two, and that's what she gave. And basically, you know, depending on whether you're reading somebody, a commentator from America, England, or Germany, and what decade, they, they tell you about how much, but you know, it was like she basically gave a couple of pennies. But put it to our, just look at our culture today and how much money that's worth. It was an essence that she basically, she gave a $5 bill in essence. And, and that was the money she had to live on that week. Now, I, can you imagine, you know, today there are people who maybe $5 is all they have to feed them for a week. I, I can't barely eat a meal for $5. But, you know, theoretically, you could go to the grocery store and find the cheapest place to go. You could buy some beans. You could buy some rice and be some pasta. You might make that stretch that way, and you could kind of divvy it out amongst today, the week. That's, that's what she had. She gave all that up. And they announced that. So can you imagine, after announcing all these rich people, giving all that money, they said, the widow gave a couple of pennies. And everybody would look and say, oh, why bother? You know? And she would walk on her way. And then Jesus, at that moment, saw that. And then Jesus stopped his disciples. Now, you know, Jesus didn't get up and make a big deal. Hey, everybody, come look at me. He just, he just began calling his disciples. Now, after a day of confrontation, whenever Jesus starts to do something, everybody notices. And everybody was noticing. Jesus said, what he was doing, he was saying, Peter, Peter, come here, come here, Peter. John, you come here. Matthew, you were a tax collector. You would like this. Judas, you're going to betray me in a couple of days, and you've been ripping off the treasury. Come here. I want to tell you something. And then everybody looked at him. That widow was probably just trying to get out while everybody looked at Jesus. That was a chance to make a break. Here's what he said. You see that widow right there? That one? The one trying to get out? That lady? And then she would stop dead in her tracks. He said, truly I say to you. The word truly is amen. Amen, I'm going to tell you something. Verily, absolutely, this is stone cold fact. That woman, that poor widow, Gave more than everybody else. And when he said gave more than everybody else, he meant everybody else combined. He, she gave more than all the rest combined. They were all like, what, you crazy? Did you not hear? Simon gave 5,000. Levi gave seven. 
There were some other people giving 10 and 12. I mean, there were people giving all tons. Some were giving 50 or 60. Some gave 100. She gave two lepta. She gave nothing. He said this because they, and he's not condemning them. He's just pointing out a fact. They gave out of their abundance, their surplus. They gave all they had left over. She, out of her poverty, gave everything, all she had to live on. In other words, Simon gave 5,000, but Simon brought 50,000 with him. Levi gave 7,000, but when he came from Alexandria, he brought 100,000 with him. They're good. They're tight. Those guys, they, they didn't make a dent in what they have. But this woman gave everything she had to live on. She's got nothing. Nada. Sip. Earlier that day, when they had asked Jesus the greatest commandment, he said, love God and love other people. And with this offering, what this woman was doing was showing her love for God and her love for people. You see, she loved God because she gave God all she had. I mean, she didn't have. What else was she going to do? I mean, that's a different culture in a different day and age. It's not, it's not like, you know, if someone passed away, she was going to make a potluck and take it to the family. She had no potluck to make. She had no pot. She was out of luck. I mean, what, 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 what? she could pray. Okay, they had priests to pray better than her back in that culture. She, all she had to give God was this. And she said, God, all I have is yours, so just take it. Now, understand the day and age she lived in. She did not live in 20th and 21st century America. You know what we do in our culture? This is what we do. Guys, preach on giving. Baptist pastors do it too. I just like, ugh. They talk about, I hear guys say, you know, that woman gave everything she had, but you know what that woman couldn't do? She couldn't outgive God. Well, you know what? That woman wouldn't think of that way. I hate that phrase, outgive God. It's not a contest. We're not saying, hey, God, I'm going to see if I can outgive you today. Our purpose in giving is, is not to see what God's giving back. We have this. This is our mentality. And, and I hear guys say, our mentality is almost an investment. If you give to God, God's going to bless you many times over. Just trust him. Just try him on that one. Just, just you give to God, that 10%, you give to God, whatever, and God's going to give you back many times more money. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It never says that in the New Testament. You realize that, don't you? It's not an investment. There is no promise that God will give us more money back. The promise is that God will take care of us. By the way, God will take care of us. Get this. This is crazy. Whether I give money to him or not. As a follower of Christ, whether I give God any money or not, God will still take care of me. All right? I'm just telling you, I know, because I've seen people God's taken care of, and I trust me, he ain't giving any money. I mean, I know that. Not that I look, I don't ever, someone asked me, do you ever look up people give? No, I have other people do that and just tell me, but I don't actually look it up. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, they don't tell me anything. That's just a joke, my goodness, that's funny too. <laughs> I just know, because looking at you, because of the guilt on your face. Here's the thing. It's <laughs> pretty good, I can remember that. My mama told me that all the time, and she was right. Here's the thing. This is not, we, we, we don't invest in God giving us back. Let me tell you about the woman. You know when the woman left? She still left broke. Jesus didn't say, hey, widow woman. Here, here's 20 bucks. Good job. He didn't say, crack open that box over there and give her some of the money. He let her walk out still broke. But she depended on God. She trusted God. God would take care of her. I don't, we don't know how. But I can pretty much promise you, 
She didn't go home the next day and have hundreds of dollars floating her away. But she loved God. And she loved people. How do I know she loved people? Because she gave the money to the poor. She wasn't giving the money to, you know, take care of the priests. They had plenty. She was taking care of the poor. Why? Because she loved God. And she loved people. And she didn't love her money more than she loved God. There are people who are saying, well, she could have kept what she had. It would mean, big deal. Or, or they could, I've heard people say, well, two cents, that didn't matter anyway. So it mattered to her. Didn't it matter to her? Listen, now look at this passage. Now look at other things that Scripture tells us about money. Here's, here's the thing we need to realize. God is concerned about our attitude toward money. He really is. He is concerned with our attitude about money because he can get us in trouble. But let me just tell you this. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere does Jesus or Paul ever say that it's sinful or wrong to be rich or wealthy. It doesn't. Let me, let me give you a clue. We are considered wealthy by the standards of the world. Did you know that? I mean, it's just a matter of how wealthy. But listen, by American standards, I'm not wealthy. By the standards of the rest of this world of 7 billion or 8 billion or how many people, I am very wealthy. I live in Laredo on the border. And in Laredo, when I passed First Baptist, there was a community that we had a little mission, a little church plant we started in there called El Ceniso. And El Ceniso was right on the water. And most of the people who lived there were squatters. They came from Mexico. They walked over and they, and they squatted. And there was a couple of roads in, but most of the places where they lived, they just cleared out paths. There was no roads. There wasn't electricity. They would go get propane tanks to cook with and to heat this time of year. They didn't have running water. The county would take big water trucks. By the way, if you don't think people in America care for the poor, you understand that the people in where I came from down in, in, in Webb County, we made sure that those poor people were taken care of the best we could. We, we built a beautiful school to educate the kids of the people who were in that area, okay? We, we, we take, send, send water twice a week so they could get drinkable water because they didn't have it. They, they had outhouses. Their homes, so some of them were cardboard. Some of them get plywood. You get up to plywood, and maybe eventually you hear long enough, you get cinder block homes. They had plywood houses. But they lived better than the people on the other side of the river. I'm thinking, that's poverty. We ain't poor. We are the wealthy. Jesus doesn't condemn wealth. I mean, the story of the rich young ruler comes to mind. And the rich young ruler loved Jesus. I mean, he was excited about Jesus. What do I do to get eternal life inherited? Jesus, he, they talked a bit. He said, you just got one problem. You love your money more than you love God. So take your money and all your stuff, sell it, give it to the poor. And then when you do that, you have treasure in heaven. That's cool. And then you come follow me. And it says, Jesus loved this guy. But he walked away very sad because he was so rich. And he loved his money more than God. We don't all have to sell our possessions to follow Christ. We'd all be destitute and broke. The problem is this guy loved his money. And so Jesus said, when you look at that guy, it's difficult for the rich to get into the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. He's not talking about all rich people. He's talking about that guy and people like him who love their stuff. You can't love your money more than you love God. 
That's why Paul, when he wrote about money in, in, in 1 Timothy, he said it's the love of money. Not money. It's loving money that's the root of all your evil. That's what Jesus says. You can't serve God and serve money. It's our attitude that gets us in trouble. Understand this. God looks at money differently than we do. He really does. We, we look at money you know, here I am, been a pastor for so long. Uh, I was speaking to some high school students the other day, and I said, I've been a pastor longer than you've been born, longer than you've been alive, and probably longer than your parents have been alive. And that makes me feel a little old today. I've been a pastor coming almost 40 years. And so I understand about money. I've preached on money. I've raised money. I, I can raise money, and trust me, I can spend money. I'm good at that. When I went to Laredo in 1992, um, they had, was 31 years of age. They had been in the building program for like almost a decade. They had nothing to show for it. So we started one immediately. And, um, and within two years, two years after I got there, I was a kid, we had built a million-dollar-plus facility. But this is, you know, 25 years ago when we finished it, and 18,000 square feet, and it was really nice. And we had it all paid for, by the way, uh, two years after that. So we had it paid for within four years when I got there. But when, before I had arrived, we had this really wealthy lady in the church. She was worth like $10 million. In Laredo, I had 14 different millionaires in my church. <laughs> You'd think we were rolling in the dough. No, because they were really stingy. They hardly gave it all. But when they gave, they gave with strings attached. So that was that, you know. And so this lady, though, had given $200,000 to the building. So when the building was finished, someone said, why don't we put up a plaque and, 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 and maybe a picture and just to say thanks. And I said, no, we're not doing that. So why would we do that? Well, she gave $200,000. She's worth $10 million. Put it to you this way. We had a lady in our church who was a, a school teacher, single lady. Uh, she made about $36,000 a year. Over a three-year period in our campaign, she pledged $3,000. She didn't have $3,000. That's a lot of money for her. There was one family who made about $50,000 a year, and they made a commitment of $10,000. I said, let me put it to you this way. The family that committed the $10,000 would be the equivalent of if that rich lady worth $10 million had given $2 million. They gave, in essence, 10 times what she gave. Now, it's not that we didn't appreciate $200,000. If you want to give $200,000, I'll take it. We'll take it. I'll thank you. We'll send you a card if we need to. I'm not going to put your picture anywhere. I'm not going to put a plaque up. We're going to cash the check and move on. <laughs> but do you understand when you have $10 million, Giving 200000 and we want it, we'll take it. That's not, that's not, doesn't compare to the person who, when they have make 50000 only gives ten. See, we look at the quantity, and that's understandable. But God just looks at it differently than we do. What God sees is so much different than what we see. God looks at the attitude of our hearts towards all of our money. Do we love money more than we love God? And what God wants to know is, all that you have, I've given it to you. Do you understand that? In, 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 the, in the scriptures, there's this thing God does, proportional giving is what we call it. He just says, here's what you do. Give 10% to, to, to in the Old Testament, to the temple and all that. And, and, and recognize all of it's mine, but by giving 10%, you're recognizing that. And then, but in the New Testament comes along, you know what the New Testament teaches? It teaches generosity. It teaches be generous. 
in the book of Acts, you know, they just give whatever they have to help people whenever. They didn't even worry about what percentage it was. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about the church of Philippi, out of the depth of their poverty, they gave generously. You see, the idea is to quit clinging to what you have. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. We all have nice. We have a nice church. I drive nice cars. We have a nice house. There's nothing wrong with it. Listen, when God made Adam and Eve, you know where they lived? It's a place called paradise. It's pretty cool. When we die, you know where we're going? We're going to this place called paradise, heaven. So it's not about whether or not we have nice things, because as Americans, we have nice things. It's about the attitude you have. Let me just say this, by the way, because whenever I preach about money, I always take this detour. Always take this detour so you'll know. You have a right to know and to expect that as your pastor, I give, and I do. You have a right to expect me to give a tithe, 10% of my income, as a minimum. I do that. And you have a right to expect me to give more than that, to be generous. And I strive to be generous. I don't know that I am in the big picture, but I strive to be. Debbie, far more generous than I am. You have a right to expect that of me. So when I preach to you about money, I'm, I'm trying to live out what I preach. We have a right to expect the staff to give tithe. You have a right to expect the finance committee members, the personnel committee members, the trustees, and deacons to all do that. And if you're any of those things and you don't tithe, you better get it together, brother. You better start tithing or quit doing what you say you're doing because you're living a life of a lie. You're being a hypocrite because this church expects those people, those men, those women to do that. And if you don't do that, you're out of kilter with God. I'm just saying it. If you have a problem with me saying that, you're more than welcome to come talk to me. But I am as adamant, as passionate about this when it comes to things like money and possessions as anything. The leadership of the church ought to be the ones setting the example and following God. We can't love money more than we love God. So here's the thing. God looks at things differently than us. So here's what we need to see. This becomes the question for us. Are you using your money to honor God and reach people for Jesus? That's the real issue. Are you using your money to honor God and reach people for Jesus? Everything we do, we talk about as a church. Our primary goal is to honor God. So everything we do as a church, we strive to honor God. Our primary goal is to reach people for Jesus. We try to reach people for Jesus. So it makes sense that when we use our finances, we'll do that. As the pastor, it's my responsibility more than anybody else to make sure that our money, our budgets go towards that stuff. So when you give, you need to know, we're striving to do that. We're not perfect. We fail. We don't, we don't, we don't, we're not doing it 100% of the time, right? Because we're human. But we strive with our money, with what you give us. We really try to honor God and reach people for Jesus. Because this is what we need to do in our lives. This is what's expected. So we had the attitude of this poor woman who had everything she had. She just took that little amount and she said, here it is. I'm giving it to you, God, because she loved God and she loved people. So this is the thing that I really want you to see in this message. It's not about whether you give to the church. It isn't. It's not about that. It's not trying, you know, to manipulate you and trick you into thinking, you know, if you know, if you'll have the mindset of I'll give and I'm investing and God will pay dividends. That's just that's just sinful to preach that. I'm sorry. What I really want to get through to you is what the struggle back then is the struggle today. It's simply this. Don't love money more than God. Okay? Whatever that means. I don't know what that means to you. I know what it means to me. 
Just don't love money more than you love God. Listen, if you never give any money to this church, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. God bless you. It's not going to hurt our feelings. We're not going to look down. I don't know what you give, so how am I going to know? And, and, and the thing about it isn't, isn't us trying to squeeze you for money, because we don't do that. It's just that what I want you to do as your pastor, as the pastor, what I want you to do in your life is what Scripture pretty much tells us. What the New Testament tells us is this. Don't love your money more than you love God and live your life that way. Whatever that means. And so we're, we're going to have an invitation here. And I don't know what you need to do. There'll be people up front. If you want to come pray with somebody, you can. You can pray where you're at. But just look at your life and ask yourself this question. Just ask yourself this question. Do I love money more than God? Then answer it. And you may need to pray, God, I I don't really love money more than you, but it kind of looks like it. Help me, Lord, get past that. Maybe today you just need to say, God, I just want to declare everything I have is yours, and I want to live that way. Whatever that means, I want you to know, God, everything I have is yours. And I just want to live my life as if everything I have is yours. Maybe you're having financial trouble. And I mean, that happens. You just want to talk to someone. We'll pray with you. Maybe, maybe sometime this week you want to give me a call or give us an email. We have resources, places we can send you to. Maybe you just need to pray. God, my, man, I'm, I'm in so much financial trouble. I, I, I don't know what to do. And so pray. God, God's going to help you get out of that. As long as you don't love money more than God, that's what you need to start doing. The place today, and listen, if you want to join our church, you can join. If you need to give your life to Christ, I haven't preached an evangelistic message. I don't know that many people ever give their life to Jesus when you preach about money. I don't know if that ever happens, but you can. But here's the thing, here's the thing that we care about. We care about this in your life. Love God. Honor him. Reach people for Jesus. Don't love your money more than you love. God. So, Father, thank you for what we have. Because you've given it to us. And I know we work, and we work hard, and we earn it, and I know that, but you still provide. You've let us live in America. My goodness, you let us live in America. And you let us live lives of such wealth. And we have so much, and we thank you because you give it to us. And our church is so generous. And they've been generous in what they've given over the years that I've been here. And thank you for that. God, our prayer, and my prayer, it's just when we talk about money, and I know it's sensitive, God, just let us not love money more than we love you. And let us live our life that way. And so all of us, when we walk out of here today, can walk out of here knowing, God, we, we love you more than we love money. And we're going to live that way. We're just going to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If you need to come, we'll be here.